I want to thank our brother Don and our sister Robin for reading Psalm 30 this morning. Did you notice in the same psalm there's both emotions, there's sadness and grief and turmoil and there's joy and there's praising and there's, and that's kind of the way we are this morning. You know, our brother Bert passed away last night and Martin passed away earlier this week. We have some that are um, undergoing surgery for cancer, others who are suffering from cancer and so we feel that. We grieve with that, and yet at the same time we celebrate, and this morning we're going to celebrate recovery. Uh, Mac and Mary, I'm going to call them up in just a minute and pray over them and turn it over to them. I do want to mention to you, you're going to hear a little bit about Mac's story, and not a lot, but you're going to hear a little bit. This is a great story, and they have done us a great service because they have recorded their story in a book and it's for sale back in the back foyer. It's $15, cash or check. Make the check to Mary Owen. She doesn't let Mac have money or sharp objects. <laughs> but uh, Joe and Amy Grambrell will be back there um, to, to help you with that after we dismiss here in a few minutes. But I wanna tell you something. This, this is not a story. This is not a story about Mac Owen and Mary Howard and the bad decisions they made, and, and the lives that they hurt, right? Am I okay for saying that? This is a God story. This is a story that will encourage you about the power of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. And, and they even say in their subtitle, God's story of healing lives. And so I want you to get a copy of this book. And I'll, I'll just tell you, Eastside Church of Christ plays a role in this story. So I'm not going to tell you how. I want you to buy the book and find out. All right, Mac, Mary, will you come up here, please? Let me pray over you. Come here, brother. Terry, will you come up pray over me? Almighty God, you are at work in the world. You are powerful as you govern your, your creation. And I, I love this story because this story is about you, God. It's about you and your power of redemption to take unlikely people and to use them uh, to your service. I pray an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Mac as he preaches to us. I pray an anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Mary as she shares just a few words with us. And I pray uh, the Holy Spirit will descend upon us. Help us, God, during the next few minutes to turn off our cell phones. Yeah, that's right, that's what I said. Don't, even, don't just silence them, turn them off. To disconnect from this world that is spiraling out of control and rebelling against you and help us to enter into your world, the world of your grace and your goodness and your power. And I ask that you do that through your servants Mac and Mary Owen, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Hello. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with codependency. My name is Mary. Hello, my forever family. We're not going to give our full testimony this morning. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about myself. We'll give our testimony in a Bible class, I believe, here, adult Bible class in October, October 17th, I believe it is. But I want to tell you a little bit about me just real quickly before Mac gets to preaching up here. 
1958, my dad, Alton Howard, he was preaching at a little church on Slack Street in West Monroe, Louisiana. I'll never forget him telling me this story because I don't remember it. But he said that my brother Johnny and I were sitting on the front row. We were, had wooden pews back then with no cushions on them. And um, I had on those hard top white sole shoes, you know, back when learning how to walk. And I would run across that pew, hit my brother, run back across to the other side, giggle and wave at him. And that happened several times back and forth. Finally, my dad stopped the sermon. He goes, Johnny, take your sister to your mother. And um, so he did that. He took us back there. And um, she took us outside, gave us a good spanking. And then, <laughs> then we came back into church, and Johnny had to come back and sit on the front row. <laughs> I got to stay back with my mama after that. But anyway, after that, about two years later, we outgrew that church. And we built a new church. It's called White's Ferry Road Church. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. That's in West Monroe. My dad was one of the founders there, Alton Howard. My mother's name was Jean. And I learned about God my whole life. And they lived it out at home, too. I saw that every day. When I became a teenager, though, I decided to see things my way. And I listened to Satan, just as Eve did. And um, that didn't go so well down the road. Anyway, 32 years later, Mac turned his life around. We've been married for 43 now. But 32 years ago, <laughs> he turned his life around, and our world began, began to change. I was thinking, though, at the time that we were just going to live this little fairy tale life like I thought everybody else was, and we would just be happily forever after and just take care of ourselves. But God had a much bigger plan than for us just taking care of ourselves. He started weaving together a plan where the whole culture of our church changed. We started talking to people, and now it's like all over the world, about our hurts, hang-ups, and habits, and how you can be healed from it. So it's been an exciting journey, and we look forward to what God is going to do here at Eastside, too. So thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Mary. <clears throat> all right. And I'll start off like Mary did, and this is going to be your cue uh, you were, it was a little bit weak a while ago, so I'm going to give you another chance. And uh, you're going to respond with, hello, Mac, after I introduce myself, okay? I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with drugs and alcohol. My name is Mac. You guys got it. You're quick learners. I like it. You know, as Mary said, we are from the same tribe. We were both raised in the Church of Christ. And uh, unfortunately for me, at a very early age, I decided the church was not for me and I checked out until I was 30 years old. And, uh, but the fortunate thing for me is that at 30 years old, I was at a church, a very loving, gracious, inspiring church, White's Ferry Road Church, that uh, took a chance on me, a very unlikely saint. And now I've been in recovery for 32 years. And it's only because of that church and the love that they showed me that I'm able to stand before you today. Um, you know, being from Louisiana, there's certain things that we uh, wish. Of course, you know, Eddie's not here today, so maybe he'll listen to this on a tape and, and he'll understand this. But being from Louisiana, we really wish that Adam and Eve would have been Cajuns. Because if they would have been Cajuns, they would have left that apple alone and ate that snake. They would have made a gumbo out of that guy. 
But since they didn't, and they ate that apple, we know what happened. They went into hiding, right? And so began our hiding in the church, behind that facade that everything is okay. As long as I show up here every week, I'm going to be good old Brother Mac, and everything will be fine. And we stay in denial about our problems, or that we even have any problems, or that we deny that we need anybody else to help us work through those problems. It reminds me of the captain of a ship who was in uncharted waters down in the Caribbean, and he came upon a deserted island, or so we thought, but he looked on the island, and there was three huts on that island. And the center hut had smoke coming out of it. He said, wow, there must be somebody there. I've got to check it out. So he gets a little boat, and he goes up to the shore, and this guy comes running out, and he says, oh, I've been waiting for somebody for so long. I've been alone for years and years. And, and the captain said, alone? Well, there's three houses here. He said, oh, yeah, well, that middle one there where the smoke's coming out, that's where I live, and the one on the right's where I go to church. And that's all he said. And the captain then asked the obvious question, okay, well, who lives in the one on the left? Oh, nobody lives there. That's where I used to go to church. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can't even admit that there's a problem even when we're the only one around. This morning I want to talk about unlikely saints and the people that will be showing up at God's church when we open the doors. Our text this morning is going to be found in the book of Mark, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there or we'll have it on the screen. Jesus is going to make some pretty unsettling comments to the church leaders of the day or the Pharisees in this case. Let's start, verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many sinners who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners or the sin sick. So as we talk today, I, I hope you keep this text in mind. And what a friend of mine once said based on these three verses. He said because of what Jesus said, that the church, God's church, needs to be a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. No perfect people allowed. And if you look up on this sign here, this is a sign at the church we go to in Woodland Park. When Mary and I got there eight years ago, this sign was in the foyer where you could not get around it. And I looked at that sign, I looked at Mary, I said, I think we found the right place. And Mary looked at me and said, I know you have. <laughs> Honestly, that's not true. She said, we have found the right place because we both know that we are not perfect people. And that's the kind of church that we need to be a part of. As you're on the heels here of starting Celebrate Recovery at Eastside, it can be a little bit scary because that word recovery can even be scary because recovery sounds messy. Well, let me just dispel any myths you might have. It is. 
Recovery is messy. We're dealing with messy people. And you might be wondering, does God even talk about recovery in the Bible? Oh, he certainly does. Matter of fact, let me show you something here. Okay, I'm going to turn to the first three chapters of the Bible. There we go. Okay, now this, in this part right here, the first three chapters, it's where God said, here's how I want you to live. We mess that up. This part right here, that's the recovery part. God talks a lot about recovery and being more like him every day. You know, I get that word recovery scares people, and I, I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking, you know, we could just replace that word. We don't have to call it celebrate recovery. We could just get a real Bible word, right? And then everybody would feel more comfortable. So we'll just call it from now on celebrate sanctification. That sounds good, right? I mean, that's a good Bible word, and we all know what that means. It means that we're becoming more like Jesus. We're getting better every day, one moment at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. We're becoming more like Jesus. That sounds an awful lot like another word, recovery. Jesus came to this earth so that we could be better tomorrow than we are today. I want to take you back for just a minute to those early days of recovery that I went to, where groups like AA would meet in churches all over the United States. Oh, they wouldn't meet there on Sundays, but they would meet there during the week, right? And most of the time at night. And, and when you'd walk in these rooms, they were usually cold, poorly lit basements and churches all across the United States. And you'd walk in, and there'd be like this 40-watt bulb dangling from a bare wire in the ceiling, and there'd be pipes exposed, and they'd be dripping water onto a cold concrete floor. And there was these chairs, these folding chairs, they didn't look like they were in very good shape. You wondered if they would even hold you up if you did sit in them. And then there was smoke so thick, you had to cut it with a knife. You didn't even have to smoke if you went in there. You smoked whether you smoked or not when you went in there. And then from somewhere in the back, there was something being brewed. You smelled something. You didn't know. Maybe it was coffee. You walked back there, and this guy in a deep voice said, Do you want coffee? And I'm like, I don't even drink coffee. But yes, sir, I'll take coffee. And then you would go sit down in a room full of people, and they would be people who came in the dark of night through the back doors into the basement so no one would know that the alcoholics were in the church building. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's a little dramatic. Surely it was never quite like that. Well, those are actually the meetings that I used to go to when I first got in recovery 30-something years ago. And I remember going in, and people were sitting in a circle, and they were actually sharing about all their life's problems. And I was looking at them thinking, these people are sick, only to find out that I was the really messed up one, and I was really glad that they let me stay. You see, these people were there not only to work on their own problems, but they were there to provide a place for people just like me where we could find that fellowship that we so longed for. Because when I got in recovery over 30 years ago, you know, going into churches, most churches anyway, and sharing who you really were wasn't something you did. Because we knew, you know, if you went into a church and, and somebody said, how are you doing? We knew the answer, right? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just fine. Everything's good in my life. If I were to really say how things were going, like, well, I've got a nasty little drug habit, or my wife would rather me not come home, my children are glad I'm not there most of the time, 
If I was to say those things, I would become viewed as one of those people. And we know who those people are, right? The ones, uh, the, the weak ones, the ones that committed all the big sins in the book. Those people. I mean, I know what 1 John says, and it says if we, haven't, if we say that we haven't sinned, we make God out to be a liar. But really, I mean, let's tell the truth. When God hears those people's sins, he's going to look at me and say, Mac, you come on in because your sins aren't even worth discussing. Those people are really sick. And it became our job in short order to let those people know what they needed to do. And we came up with catchy little sayings like, you need to turn or burn. Or my favorite was, you need to be true or you're going to barbecue. Well, thank God those days are long gone, right? Or are they? You know, the truth is, not everywhere and not in every church. We travel a lot and we see a lot of church signs. And looking at church signs let me know that sometimes we forget how much grace it took to get us here. I got a couple signs there. There's one more after that one, too, I think. Yeah, that's one I really like. <laughs> it takes a minute, doesn't it? You know, here's what, here's what we can't expect. We cannot expect people who don't know Jesus, people who don't love Jesus, people who don't trust Jesus to pretend like they do. Because that would be really ridiculous for when they come off the street, for them to come in here and think, whoo, Jesus is fantastic. They don't even know Jesus. It'd be ridiculous to act like they have everything together when they know that they don't. To act like Christians when they haven't even figured out what it is to be a Christian. To act like being a Christian will even work in their lives when they're not sure that it will. You see, and I love this, I really do, because Jesus was the first one to compare his church to the hospital. We just read it in the verse above, right? And if you're taking notes here, you're going to want to write this down. Jesus compared his church to a hospital because... Jesus, write this down, Jesus is smart. He knew that was the only way to get us back to him and into recovery was to invite us into the hospital. I mean, can you imagine going to a hospital and walking up and down the halls and just shouting at the top of your lungs, everybody in here needs to stop acting sick. I mean, that'd be crazy, right? Can you imagine? I hope, I hope this never happens to anybody. But someone you love, a child, a grandchild, somebody, you take them through the hospital, and you're met at the door with somebody saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just need to stay outside those doors. When you're ready to stop acting sick, then you can come in here. And I hope this never happens to anybody, but... If you had somebody that you loved in your arms and you take them to the hospital and you're met at the doors with somebody saying that to you, stop acting sick, come back when you're ready to stop acting sick. Or you're met at the door with a stare that says, what are you doing here? You know, if, I'm, if that happens to me, my response is going to be anything less than Christian. 
because I have somebody in my arms that I love, I'm going to be ready to fight. Seriously. That's what you're going to say to me? You see, I came here today because there's something missing in my life. The very fact that I walked into this place is an admission that I need help. And the question is, can I come here? Can I come to this church? And maybe find out what's missing in my life. Because the very fact that I walked in here is saying to you that something is missing. There's a hole that I don't know how to fill. And I thought just maybe... If I came here, it might be that one you talk about all the time. That What's Jesus? Maybe it's him could fill that hole. So the question is, can I come here? Can I be here? Can I even belong here? Well, I'm coming to believe this because I know me, and I'm a little hard-headed. This may take a while. So I want to know, can I come here and be a part of this church while I'm coming to believe what you're teaching me? And the answer has to be yes. It has to be yes. Because everyone, I started to say everyone I know, that's not true. Everyone has messed up God's plan. Everybody. If they hadn't, we wouldn't have needed a Savior. It's because of Jesus and only because of Jesus is it possible for us to find forgiveness and the healing that we all long for. It means this. God's church is going to be a really messy church. If you don't believe that, you have not read 1 Corinthians because that is one jacked up church, my friends. It was a mess. You know, if you want all the polish and the, we don't have any spills at this church, then God's church is probably not going to be the best fit. For you, Because God's church is going to be messy. You see, I know it's going to be messy because Jesus was accused of being messy. Why was he accused of being messy? Because he was eating and drinking and fellowshipping with some really messy people. And if I'm going to be accused of anything as a church, as a, as a, a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as man, as anything, I want to be accused of of and criticized for the very things that Jesus was accused of and criticized for. He spoke the truth, but he did it with grace. He didn't beat people up with the truth. He told the truth. He spoke the truth. He said, we're going to live our lives by the truth, but we're going to do it with grace. You see, this value or this standard in our lives has got to be more than, well, Jesus loved messy people, so I guess we're going to have to love them too. No, it's got to be more than that. It's got to be. No, Jesus loved messy people, and we're going to love messy people too because of this. Write this down right under Jesus' smart. We're going to love messy people because we is messy people too. Like it or not, all of us have messes in our lives. You know, since we are all messy, 
God's church has to be a place where sinners are welcomed. He ate and drank with sinners. Sinners have got to be welcome. A place where people can come and find that fellowship that every one of us are looking for. No one likes to be lonely. People are looking for that fellowship that we have right here in this body. That's the way the church has always been. You see, when it started in the book of Acts, every conversion, every one of them, check it out, every conversion was centered around fellowship. One saved sinner sitting down with another sinner and sharing with them that hope was available. Eating with sinners. From the Ethiopian eunuch to Saul, Cornelius, Lydia, the jailer, every conversion was about sitting down and sharing time together with sinners. And just like back then, today, our church, that's really not correct. Just like today, God's church, because this isn't our church. Oh, we come here every Sunday, right? But this isn't our church. It's his church. I'm just thankful he let us belong to his church. God's church, then, has got to be a safe place where people can come and share any and all of their struggles. I mean, when you open the doors to God's church, there's actually no telling who's going to show up. You see, God charges us, and when I say us, I mean those of us who are already here, those of us who are in. He charges us with a task. And he said, that task is this. I want you to equip the saints that I'm going to send you. Last time I checked, he's sending some pretty unlikely saints. And when you open the doors to God's church, that's who's going to show up. I can only imagine what they thought when I showed up at church. What they said was, in no short amount of words, is, we love you. You're our first drug addict. We don't know quite how to help you, but we want you to keep coming back. And I heard that. I was like, Mary, they said we could come back. They didn't tell me I had to leave. And then this little old lady came up to me, and she goes, Mac, I think you need AA. And I said, is that like a car club? She said, no, that's AAA. You need AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, the <laughs> irony of ironies, the church sent me to AA, you know what AA did? Sent me right back to the church. As grateful as I am for AA, and you will never hear me bash that organization because they are helping people get sober, helping people get their minds straight so they can make decisions on what they want to do for eternity. It's time that we came to the realization that in God's church, we have the answer. We don't need to send people outside these walls to get the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ, and he can change anybody's lives. So in God's church, in God's church, there's going to be some pretty unlikely saints showing up, but that's the way it's always been, right? I mean, look back at Hebrews chapter 11. That's God's hall of fame, right? I mean, the people in there are like incredible. They're all our Bible heroes, but as I looked at these people, they got some major problems, Every one of them. 
Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, Samson. Da- Whoa, did you say Samson? Yep, he's in there. Hold it. He's the biggest relapser of all times. Wine, women, and song. That was his game. I mean, I can only imagine if, if Samson showed up at our church today, we'd be like, first of all, we'd have a committee. Then we'd say, Samson, frankly, we're tired of your lifestyle. When you're ready to clean things up and get everything all together, that's when you can come back here. <laughs> but that's not what God does. I don't know how Samson made it. I really don't, but it gives me great hope. I do know this. At the end of his life, as he was strapped to two pillars, naked with his eyes gouged out, he asked God, give me the strength to kill my enemies, who happen to be God's enemies. That's always good. And he brought the house down literally because God gave him the strength to wipe out the enemy. Samson died, of course, in that, in that as well. But here's what happened in the rest of the story. It said his brothers came and got his body and took him home to be buried in the tomb of his father. Now, here's what I don't know. I don't know all the rest of the story, but I don't believe that would have happened unless he would have made some type of amends or repentance in his life. Samson. You know, I'll never forget the young 30-year-old woman who week after week would show up at our Celebrate Recovery. And she would show up every week drunk. And I don't mean politely drunk. I mean slobbering, crying, a real big pain in the nuisance drunk. That's what she was. I would have to assign her to somebody to make sure she didn't get hurt somebody or hurt herself or do something crazy. So someone would have to stay with her the whole night. And then it became her mission to hide from that person somewhere in the church building. And then I would have to send out a posse to find where she was hiding at. And then after the night was over, I would have to get somebody to take her home. I'd have to take her keys from her. There were even those nights that she wouldn't surrender her keys, and we had to call the cops because she was fixing to drive out of there and possibly hurt somebody. There was actually nights I thought, man, it would be a lot easier if she didn't show up. But we never told her that. None of our leaders ever told her that. What we told her was every week, keep coming back. Because we knew that God could work in her life if she would just keep coming back. But then the night came where she didn't show up, and we wondered where she was. And I said, oh, well, she'll be back next week. But she wasn't. Week after week, she didn't show up. And we were really getting worried about her because we didn't know if she had died or, or what had happened to her. Six to eight months went by. And I was at our dinner that we have every week before Celebrate Recovery. And this very attractive, clean-cut, nice-looking young lady came up to me, who I'd never met before. And she said, uh, Mac, I just want to thank you. And I'm thinking, what does she want to thank me for? I don't even know her. But, oh, she's probably going to thank me for, I'm so thankful you have Celebrate Recovery here. But that's not what she said. She said, thank you for always letting me come back. Thank you for never telling me to leave. Thank you for making sure that I got home safe week after week when I couldn't get home 
by myself. And I know I was a real pain. I really do. But I've been in rehab for the last eight months, and I've been sober longer than any time I can remember in my life. My family actually wants me to be around now, and I just want to thank all of you here at Celebrate Recovery. It was her. It was Sarah. I didn't even recognize her because God had been doing some amazing things in her life. And there was never a time in my life that I was ever more glad for something, but I was never more glad that I did not say, you don't belong here. And we always said, keep coming back. Back to God's Hall of Fame. My absolute favorite in this chapter 11 of Hebrews. You guys got to read it if you haven't read it. It's the coolest chapter ever. But my absolute favorite would have to be Rahab. You remember Rahab, right? She was self-employed. <laughs> you know, where did we ever get the idea that when people come to our church, messy people, and we say things like, oh, we don't share stuff like that around here, you'll want to keep that to yourself because that's not at all what God did. I mean, seriously, here's a prostitute who God allows to hold the safety of his people in her hands. He didn't have to do that. She didn't have to follow through with that. She could have said, oh, yes, you spies hide here. Then she could have gone and called the cops and been good with the cops, right? But no. She said, I'm going to honor my word to God. And then God did something amazing for her. You know, when I think about... If I was God, thank God that I'm not, but if I was, I would say something like, we don't have to write all our dirty laundry down, do we? But that's not what he does. He puts all his heroes in the Bible, writes down their junk, and then he gave it to us. And Rahab the prostitute shows up in the lineage of the Savior of the world. Are you kidding me? That's what God does with broken people. Every one of God's leaders was a broken individual. Find one person in the Bible that had everything all together, and God said, I'm going to make him or her a good, one of my great leaders. They're not in there. God only uses broken people, period, to advance his kingdom. Our church, God's church, has got to be a safe place where people can come share all their life's struggles. Because if this isn't it, where are they going to go? Oh, there's self-help groups out there. And I mentioned AA, getting a lot of people sober. But their retirement plan is, ours is out of this world, right? Where are they going to go share and hear what we know? This has got to be the place. God's church has got to be the place. You know, our recovery program that we have in our churches, Celebrate Recovery, has got to be an out there, mainstream, visible part of the church. It can't be a basement ministry anymore. It just can't be. You know, at White's Ferry Road Church, where we come from in Louisiana, we have one of those signs out front. You ever seen the sign? You see the signs everywhere. They got the scrolling message, and the message is always too long to see the whole message, right? And you miss it, and you're like, oh, what did the rest of that say? And you drive around the block to see what the rest of it said, and by the time you get there and read the second half, it wasn't worth reading in the first place, right? 
So what we do at White's Ferry Road, we make our messages really, really short. It says something like this on our sign. Women's Prayer Ministry, uh, Tuesday morning, 9 o'clock. Celebrate Recovery, Friday night. Teen Bible Bowl, Wednesday, 5.30. Celebrate Recovery, Friday night. Men's Prayer Breakfast, Thursday, 6.30 a.m. Celebrate Recovery, Friday night. You starting to see a theme here? Celebrate Recovery is in the middle of everything. And then on Friday night, when it's Celebrate Recovery time, it says, Celebrate Recovery, Friday night, right now, come on in. Because we want everybody in the community to know that there's a place in God's church for them. And you see, Celebrate Recovery is not a, a separate part of the church. It is the church. I'm pretty patient. Is that back on? Is it on? Sort of? Okay, good. Thank you. Appreciate that, Gary. Celebrate Recovery cannot be a separate part of the church because we are part of the church, reaching out to those unlikely saints. God's church has got to be a place where people can find that fellowship that they so need. 1 John 1, chapter 1 says this. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Check this out. Here's a conjunction. Did you ever, you know what a conjunction is? Conjunction, conjunction, what's your function? I learned that on Sesame Street with our kids growing up. I didn't, wasn't very good at English, but after that I started learning some things. But anyway, there's two things, two thoughts in this verse we have fellowship with one another just like Jesus does if we stay in the light. And the blood of his son purifies us from all unrighteousness. See, it's the blood of Jesus that purifies us. What keeps me in contact with the blood? Fellowship with you. God puts you right in the middle of my recovery. I need you. So the church has got to have a place where people can come and find that fellowship, where they can start building healthy relationships. Because i got a newsflash for you. People that come in to celebrate recovery don't have a whole lot of healthy relationships. And the church has got to be that place where they can start to develop those healthy relationships, a place where they can come and not be feel, made to feel less than. You know, most people that come in through recovery have already had that feeling of worthlessness most of their life. But when they come into God's church, they're going to find a place that's going to offer them more than that, that, that first step band-aid. And you know what I mean. Come to Jesus and everything will be all right. How important is that step? Oh, it's vital. And when I say vital, that means life and death. But if I tell people to come to Jesus but don't then tell them how to stay there or how to grow there, I have done them a vast injustice. So in Celebrate Recovery, we get to offer them that whole first aid kit that comes along with the Beatitudes. Jesus' breakout sermon, right? That's what he's going to go. He's going to change everything. And he has his first sermon and his first point was, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'm looking at it thinking, wow, your first point of your breakout sermon, Jesus, and you say, unless you're broken, I got nothing for you. Because that's exactly what he said. He started out by saying, only broken individuals can sit at the table with me. Coming to Jesus, forgiveness is total and instant. 
but learning how to become like him, that's a lifetime recovery process. Getting better one day at a time. 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Now that you've cleaned up your lives by following the truth, love one another as if your life depends on it. Guess what? It does. It does. I can't do this alone. And I need you so much that he would say in James 5.16, And while you're at it, confess your sins one to another. Pray for each other because that's when healing begins. Confess your sins one to another. Why would I do that? So I can hear all your junk? No. So that the healing can begin. A friend of mine once said, the revealing of your feelings is the beginning of healing. That's what James 5.16 is about. The healing begins when I start to get that junk out. So who's Celebrate Recovery for? Well, obviously sinners. The ones who are hiding in here this morning. You do know that the church is a fantastic place to hide, right? As long as I show up every week, I am good old faithful Brother Mac. And believe me, when I showed up at church and told them I was a drug addict, they were like, no way. Because I'd been showing up at least half of the time. But by showing up, it was a great place to hide. So Celebrate Recovery is for people who are hiding, but also the ones who are going to be coming in because you've opened the doors to God's church. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 tells me that I cannot do this alone. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man or woman who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly or easily broken. You know, God knew that we could never do this life on our own. That's why he wrote that verse. He said, you're better together. So where does a lesson like this leave us? Some of you are saying, well, I'm not in recovery. Yeah, you are. You just don't know it. Well, it leaves us actually with two camps. And the two camps are the sinners and the Pharisees. And upon close examination of the scriptures, I would submit to you that Jesus ate with the sinners much more. You see, it was the sinners that he felt more comfortable around because they didn't act like they had it all together. The ones that had acted like they had it all together or acted like they had arrived, those are the ones he felt really uncomfortable with. So I recognize today that I am a sinner, but I'm sitting at the table with the Savior. That makes all the difference. And it's because of his unconditional love that I work really hard at not practicing the sin that brought me to him in the first place. I want my life to be better every day. So in Celebrate Recovery, we're reaching out to the very kind of people who Jesus was sitting at the table eating with. That's who we're bringing into the building. 
the sinners. And we're helping them learn that practicing a sinful lifestyle is not something they have to do anymore. They can be better. There's always going to be things that we have to work on, right? Always. When someone tells me that they have arrived or they act like they have arrived in God's church, I'm like, what about Philippians 1.6? Because that says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion. And then lest we get too full of ourselves, he gives us a completion date. And the completion date is when Jesus Christ comes back. Last time I checked, he's not back. So that means everybody in here has got some work to do. Everybody in here has got some work to do. You know, at the same time, we share with them that Jesus is going to keep you being a work in progress. But then we get to share with these unlikely saints who, by the way, are turning themselves in. I've never seen a ministry where people just come in and say, can I be here? Hurting people come in and say, please let me stay here. We also get to share with them then from my favorite book in the Bible, Colossians. We get to share with them that God is ready to rescue them, bring them into his kingdom of the son he loves, and then when they do that, they are now holy in his sight. And I tell a lot of people, I was called a lot of things in my past, holy wasn't one of them. But when the creator of the cosmos views me through his son Jesus' sacrifice, he said, now that's my holy son Mac, who is without blemish and free from accusation, so that he might be presented perfect to me. So any of us that have now started to follow Jesus and committed our life to him and made him the Lord of our life are viewed in that very same way, perfect before God. We don't have to practice that sinful lifestyle anymore. Eastside Church of Christ, I'm going to leave you with this. God is calling you here, I believe this with all my heart, to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted who are going to walk through that door, to proclaim freedoms for the captives in Jesus' name, and to release from darkness all the prisoners of their hurts, hang-ups, or habits. God is calling you to equip the saints. God is calling you to reach out to the unlikely saints that he's going to be sending you. So all I got to say is this. You open the doors to this church, get ready because they're coming. Thanks for letting me share. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.